So last week we started talking about motive. We talked about the fear of the Lord as the beginning of wisdom. We talked about uh, that true worship. If we really want to worship God, it comes from a, a heart that has a good motive before God. So the motive, when we're looking at motive, we're asking ourselves, what is the thing that the reason for why we do something? Um, and last week we looked at the, the first reason and that, that is maybe the fear of the Lord. And a lot of people have a problem with the idea of the fear of God or the fear of the Lord. And they think it's, you know, should I be very terrified of him? Well, in a sense you should be because he has the ability to, to you know, to send you to hell. He can do that. He's quite within his realm if you're not going to obey him and follow him and walk with him he can actually he's, Jesus said said you shouldn't fear the one who can hurt your body but fear the one who can hurt your soul so that this fear is not just a, a terrifying you know be scared of me idea but it's a respectful attitude towards God an attitude that that brings up an idea that uh, we should respect and honor and esteem him and so the idea of fearing God is not so much be terrified of God, but esteem him and honor him and respect him. A little bit like what it is in relationships. So when you start in a relationship with somebody and you really want that relationship to last for a long time, you tend to walk carefully about how you treat that person. Well, if you're smart, you do, because if you don't treat them well, they don't last long, do they, those relationships? So if you walk in a relationship, you walk with respect to the person that you're starting in a relationship with, and usually the relationship will go longer because you esteem and honor the other person. So that's the idea behind the fear of the Lord. But the Apostle John, he says something very interesting, and I want to talk to you about it. He says, there is no fear in love. He says, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves punishment, and the one who fears is not perfected in love. And so he actually tells us that there's a, there's a law or a, a principle or a motive that overrides the motive of the fear of the Lord. And, and we think, you know, how does it do that? How can one both be there but one override the other? Well, it's a little bit like the law of gravity is overridden by the law of aerodynamics. I mean, at the very base of it, we all should fear God. Everybody should fear the Lord. Everybody should honor and respect the Lord. But when it comes to relationship and having a relationship with God, it's this principle of love, this motive of love that is like aerodynamics. It just lifts you up. You get out of the fear thing because you're no longer worried about what God could do to you. You're no longer worried about having this honor. You just love him. And because you love him, this is beautiful thing that takes over your life, which is not fear-based, it's love-based. And that's a lovely thing that uh, we're told here. So we want to look at this idea of love today, the motivation of love. And uh, one of the stories I want to tell you, tell you about is found in our readings where, where in, in John chapter 8. It's the first story that comes in John chapter 8. And it's a story about a woman who's caught in the very act of adultery. So the Pharisees were looking at, to Jesus and trying to find out something that could trip him up because they figured, you know, he's a very smart man. He hasn't got a lot of learning behind him in terms of he didn't go to college or school or everything, but everything he said was very smart, very wise, and every time anybody tried to come against them, they'd trip him up. So they were looking for ways to trip him up, looking for ways to trip him up with regard to the law because the law is what they had. And they were experts in the law. They knew exactly what the law said. Well, the law said... Back then it says that if a woman was caught in adultery, then she should be stoned. We've, we hear that in the, new, in the news of uh, Islamic people stoning people. This is where they get this whole idea from. They get it from the old Mosaic law, which had this idea that if you committed adultery, you should be taken out and stoned. And so they knew that Jesus understood the law, and they set this woman up. Well, there was a guy and a girl, because you can't commit adultery by yourself, can you? 
but they didn't bring the guy because the guy obviously was a setup. It was a, to catch the woman in the very act, it said. So they actually pulled her out the bed and brought her to Jesus. Said, Jesus, the law says that this woman who's caught in the very act of adultery, we pulled her out of the bed. She's probably standing there with just a coat around her, nothing, else, nothing more. Naked underneath. Standing before Jesus, she's caught in the very act. What should we do? The law of Moses says she should be taken out and stoned. Now, would you, would you like a Jesus who would tell them to take him out and stone this woman? Would you follow a Jesus who had that sort of love? So Jesus, he stoops down. He's, they're in the courtroom. This is the Pharisees' courtroom. And Jesus is, 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 is teaching there. And he starts to scribble on the ground. He just starts to write on the ground. The Bible says he's doodling on the ground. And then he stands up and they're insistent. They keep on asking the question over and over again. And, and they're insistent. They want to reply from him because they want to trap him. And if Jesus is really going to tell us something, he's got to get out of this bind because he's in a bind. If he says, okay, take her out and stone her, well, he didn't come to save people. He came to condemn people with the law. And if he says, no, just forget it, he obviously isn't going to uphold the law. You know, he doesn't believe that the law is right. So he, he, we can just, we can kill him because he's an apostate, you know. So he's caught between two principles. He's caught between the truth that, that adultery is a sin and he's caught between this idea of showing mercy and grace toward this woman. So he's He's caught in a, in a trap. How will our hero get out of that? So he scribbles in the sand and he, he sits there and then they insist that they want an answer and so he stands up and he says something very profound. He says, let him who is without sin, a person who has never committed any sin, let that person be the first one to throw a rock. The person who's never done anything wrong. Bend down, pick up a rock and start to throw it. And then he bends down in the ground again and he begins to write again in the sand. And the Bible tells us that the oldest through to the youngest began to depart. The oldest probably because they've got lots of sin because they've lived a long time. They go first. The conviction must have been so heavy there. They must have felt such depth of conviction that when... He started to write, and I don't know what he wrote in the sand. He might have said, uh, Harry, you remember Julie? <laughs> or he might have said, Fred, remember the time that you were out camping? Whatever he wrote down had an effect, and the conviction of the Holy Spirit was there with Jesus, and not one man stood to throw a stone because they all convicted of their own personal sin. That's the commonality, you know. How many people here have never sinned? We've all sinned and we've all broken the rules. And that was the same back then as it is now today. So none of us are in a position where we can pick up a rock and throw it at somebody. None of us are in a position where we can make a judgment against somebody and, and condemn them because we are so righteous. None of us are that righteous. Jesus was the only one that was righteous. Fully righteous, never sinned. So he stands up and he looks at the woman and he says, Who's condemning you? And she looks at him and she says, no one, Lord. And then he says something that's really quite amazing. He says, and I'm not going to condemn you either. He says, go and sin no more. I like that. Now, he doesn't say what she was doing was okay. 
She said, yeah, he said, what you did was wrong. But you see, when you come to Jesus, he's not there with a big stick ready to thump you. He's all about love. And love isn't about condemning somebody and holding the rule up and saying the rule is this is what it is. And if you don't pay the rule, then I'm going to smack you down. That's what a lot of people think Christianity is. Don't judge me. They stand up there and they hold the rule up there and they beat people with the rule. Christianity is not about, Christ was not about holding up the rule and bashing people with the rule. Even though he held the rule and said the rule was right. He was about grace and truth. The truth was that the, the law was right, the, the wrong and rights of the Bible are right, but the grace was that he had mercy and he wasn't there to condemn you, he was there to save you. So he held those two things in tension. He held them in a balance. So he, the Bible says in James chapter 2, verse 13, it says, My judgment, for judgment will be merciless to those who have shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Turn to the person beside you and say, Mercy triumphs over judgment. <laughs> that, that, so if you want a, a, a rule of thumb, it's better to be merciful to somebody than to be judgmental to somebody. It's very easy to be judgmental. Tell somebody that they're doing something wrong. It feels good to yourself when you do that. But the Bible says, you know what? If you want to really be like Jesus, it's better to be merciful rather than judgmental. Really, you don't know all the situation. You don't know all the facts. So don't cast the judgment. Be merciful. Hold the rights and the wrongs. Believe the rights and the wrongs. Live by the rights and the wrong. And be merciful for those who fall. Amen? So that's what we had there. <clears throat> the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 3 verse 8 that this is motivation, this uh, refusal to, to be unkind, this refusal to jump into judgment, this, this, this attitude of love. We read this in Romans chapter 5 verse 3b. Because some of us say, okay, look, I have a real big problem to being loving. You know? How many people find it hard to be loving? Be serious. How many people find it easy to be loving? Easy to be forgiving, easy to let people get away with anything and find it difficult to tell somebody something is wrong. So, wait, wait a minute, he, here's the thing. You can know something is wrong, but when you're confronted with the wrong in front of you, do you say it's wrong or do you just shut your mouth and say, I'll be nice to you? Are you a person who is more relationally in touch with people than you are principally in touch with people? That sort of a person is a person who goes, you see something that's wrong in front of them and they won't say anything, they just keep the peace. How many people keep the peace? Keep the peace. If it's your wife or not. <laughs> You're trying to choose your battles. Yeah. How many people here, when they see something wrong, I've got to say something about that. It doesn't matter. I'll just put my hand up. I'm just going to say, I don't care what you feel like. I'm going to tell you it's wrong. Yeah. Are you there? Well, the big, the big battle between, in human relationships is the tension that is between knowing something is wrong and saying something about it and knowing what to say and when to say it, how to maintain a relationship even though you might be kind to correct. You try and correct somebody or you try and share, share your... They say, what do you reckon about this? And I say, well, I don't really think that that's a right thing. Oh, you judgment. You, better, you ask me what my view is and I'm just telling you what my view is. In our society today, we have this thing called... Um, uh, it's a, you have autonomy you can, you can have your own view until your view is not like my view and if your view is not like my view I'm going to get upset with you oh, so they say oh, I, I believe in same sex marriage I believe in all this sort of thing you say well that's not my view well then aren't you wrong then well what if I have a different view 
Can't I have my view? And you can only have your view if it's the same as my view. And that's our society for you today. It's a bit crazy like that. So some of us have a problem of having this sort of this love in the right tension in our hearts. Some of us get too judgmental and then others of us are too lenient and we don't say when th something when we need to say something. And that's a problem because sometimes we just don't have the love in us to do the thing that we, we think we don't have the love. Well, the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 5, verses 3 to 5, it says, We exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope. And hope does not disappoint us because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So God has actually made us all partakers of the love of God, which is poured out by the Holy Spirit. As you come to God, and as you ask God to come into your life, and ask Jesus to change your life, and, I, and you say to Jesus, I want to follow you, he puts his Holy Spirit within you, he seals you with the Holy Spirit. When you want to keep on going, he fills you with the Holy Spirit, and he fills you with his power. And with that infilling, and with that presence of the Holy Spirit, comes this incredible power of love. Some of us have experienced that love of God. You get on your knees and, and God has come to you and you just feel this overflowing, cascading sense of God's great love and compassion and mercy to you. That's all there. God you, has given you the ability to love the unlovely. Turn to the person beside you and say, I can love you quite easily. <laughs> It is because it is because God has given the capacity to love within your life. It's got it's born of his spirit and it's not something that you have to try and conjure up. It is something that is within you that God has placed within you because it's come with his presence. God is love. Not only is love our motivation, he is also our motivator. God is love. And so as we go then and we look at the difference between love, because in the Bible we get two words or three words in the, that, that talk, it's actually four words that talk about love in the Bible. One is storge, and it talks about a parental love with a child. One is eros, which talks about the love between a man and a woman, which is a physical love, which is where we get erotica or eros, sexual love. The next one is philia, which is this love, which is a, a friendship type love, a, a love that's uh, amongst friends, a warmth. And then, then the other love is agape, love. it's called the love of God, agape love, it's the love of God. And I want to put these two words up in front of you so that you can see the difference, so that you can understand what love is and what love isn't. Now, phileo love is the love that you feel. And if I were to ask you today, what is love? You would tell me it's an emotion. You'd say, it's something I feel. When I get next to that person, I feel this sort of feeling and I feel like love is happening in the room. And we'd say, it's a natural thing. It comes from a natural thing. You just don't have to work at it. It just is there. And I look at him, I love him. Oh, yeah. You know, it's emotional. I feel it in my emotions. It's discriminatory because I like this one and I love this one. It's like I can make a decision between what I love and what I don't love. It sort of discriminates against one or the other. It's conditional because if you don't treat me nice, I won't love you anymore. So it's, this, it's conditional. It's based upon the pleasure that I feel. Now this is what we really think love is in our society. It's all pleasure based. It all has to do with the delight 
of actually being in the same room and the person that's the liking, it's because of something and it, is, and it fails. That's the problem with that sort of love, it fails. You can start off and it feels really good and you, and you get along really well and you're doing really fine. But after a little while, it fails because it is a lesser love than the love that God is wanting us to fill our lives with. He comes and fills our lives with agape love. Now, agape love is a learned love. It's a little bit like the love that you're meant to have when you, you, when you say those vows, you know, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to death to his part. Those vows talk not about this phileo love, they talk about an agape love. For better or worse, when it's really difficult and hard, I'm still going to love you. In sickness and in health, I'm still going to love you. I'm going to be there no matter what the situation is. I'm going to learn to love you. If I don't love you well now, I'll learn to love you. It's a choice I'm making right now and it's a choice that I'll keep making. And when I'm 95 years old, if I'm still alive, I'll still keep making a choice to love you. It's volitional. It's non-discriminatory. It doesn't matter what you do. I will still have that love toward you. I will still love you. It means that you know, sometimes you can have a love for somebody that you don't want to have to be with anymore. You cannot like them anymore, but you still love them. Love is not necessarily having the feeling of likeness or liking somebody. It's just I will do the right thing by this person. I will do the most loving thing for this person. It's unconditional. It sees the preciousness in the other person. So when I look at a beautiful girl like Esther, is it Esther? Lily. Lily, I'm sorry. I do that to you all the time. I get her right every time. When I look at Lily, it's easy for me to love Lily because she's beautiful. So that would be phileo love. If I looked at Lily and she was nasty to me because I forgot her name, and she said nasty things to her sister Esther about me, and it was to stay in love with her, I would have to see the preciousness of her life, even if she is not being nice to me. Isn't that the hardest thing? When somebody is not nice to you, to see the preciousness of their life, to value their life and esteem their life, even though they don't say nice things about you, to esteem them highly, to prize them, in spite of what they're saying, to, to never quit on them. Now that's the love that God says should be our motivation. He says that's the love that we have to start to bring out in our lives to have our motivation. That is the person of Jesus. He is the motivator and that's his attitude with regard to us and that should be our attitude to, with regard to others. That is the motivation that he's talking about here in Ephesians chapter 5 verse 1. He says, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love. I mean, I think what we're looking for is a place where we can find that love. I, 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 just, I just don't think that it's a place where we can feel nice together. I mean, lots of churches present a place where you can feel nice together. But that will fail because sometimes when you get all these people together in one place, sometimes it's always not nice. Sometimes not nice things happen in a group of people. How many people know that's to be true? Sometimes when you get lots of people together, sometimes not nice things happen. Yeah. 
What keeps them together is this love. It's this motivation. It's the walk in love. Just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. And I want you to notice here that the idea that Christ showed us what this love looked like, it was a self-sacrificing love. It didn't say, my way is right, and if you don't agree with me, then on the highway. It was, look, I want this relationship to work. I want this to work so bad that I will sacrifice myself so that it can work. I will lay myself and my own ideas down. So I will uphold the truth and I will keep the truth, but I will also uphold grace and I'll also uphold mercy so that there can be smooth relationships amongst us. That is the challenge of life. It is one of the key issues in life. A lot of people kill people because of their own beliefs. They'll chop you down. I'm encouraged when I see people like um, Ravi Zacharias, and he he debates with his arch enemy, Dawkins. And Dawkins is is an atheist. And he, he thinks Christians are numbskulls. He, he thinks that they're idiots and they should be condemned publicly and they should be ridiculed publicly and they should be spoken against. This is Dawkins. He's full of malice and hatred. And yet, you get somebody like Ravi Zacharias or you get somebody like John Lennox and they are lovely Christian men who have this principle and this grace. They're able to sit there and say, well, look, we don't agree with you. We think that you've misplaced your mind somewhere. And we'll, let's tell you what we... And they'll be ridiculed and they'll be spoken against. But you know what? They have that quality of love that doesn't take offence when that takes place. And that's what Jesus is looking for. That's what Jesus looks for in our lives. So why don't we get this love? How do we keep this love? Well, Paul tells us, I pray that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and depth of insight. I know, I, I, I'm bold print of that because we sometimes want love to, to be increasing in the way we feel and the, the experience, and so it's all sort of bubbles and froth for us. Like, that's what we get caught on, you know. We go out with this lovely lady for a, a, a date, and it's good. And we enjoy that. And then the, in two weeks' time... We say, do we have another date? Yes. And we go out again for the second week and we expect it to be as better, better than the last date we had. If it's not, I'm going to be upset. Uh, you know, so it's, it's good. It's better than the last date. We, wait, we look for the third date and it's meant to get more and more intense as we're going along. That's the general rule, isn't it? The more you date, the more intense it becomes until you know, you're either going to get married or you're going to do something crazy, you know, because that you just can't bear to be alone, you know. You know how it is when, you, when you're, you know, got a couple who who going to get married and you know, they just can't keep their eyes of each other. They're there from morning till night. I just want to be there with you. I remember when I was, when I was dating my wife, I used to say that the, the parting was such... Deep sorrow we live. Fare thee well, though I must leave thee. Do not let this parting grieve thee, for we know that all good friends must part with time. You know, we used to look at each other and say, just when we get married, we don't have to go home. We, we'd be at home, you know. That's what it's like. You know, you just can't you know, stay there because you're looking for a constancy of that emotion, a constantly of that. That's all phileo. That's phileo going to eros. Agapeo is different. It's a different thing. 
and it grows in knowledge and depth of insight. So it's the sort of love that sits and looks at a situation saying, I know the right thing to do is this. I know what I want to do is this, but the right thing to do is this. And if I esteem this person, if I love this person, then I will choose the right thing, not the thing that I want to do or the thing that I feel like I want to do. That love is a controlling love. That love is a, puts a boundary around you. That love puts things in right perspective. That love clearly sees what, what's at stake here. It's real knowledge and discernment. And, it, and, it, and it's so that you may approve the things that are excellent for God. It helps you to see the right path. Say, God, I want to live so that I'm walking in love, so that I'm doing the right thing in love, that I'm, I'm doing what you want me to do. Most of us get caught with the phileo and drop into eros because we don't get the agape in the right place. We get so emotionally turned on and so physically stimulated, we drop into eros and we think that's love. We say, it's just because of that. We stop that now. Think clearly. What's the right thing to do? Where are you meant to go with this? Where is it meant to go really? What do you do if you really esteem this person? And head in the right direction. And that's the battle. That's the battle of life. That's the battle of relationships. Learning to keep your relationship in the right place. Learning to keep it where it's meant to be. Learning to be gracious and yet be honest and truthful. Learning not to sweep things under the mat, but to put things on the table and discuss them when they need to be discussed. And then to keep relationships going so that they are healthy relationships, not hindered relationships. And that's why Paul tells us, he says, I want your love to abound still more and more. He says, you, you can't get enough of this kind of love. He says, so that you may know what's right and you may be excellent. He says, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of the Father. He says, I want you to have this sort of love inside of you, growing and abounding more and more in your life, so that in all of your personal interactions with other people, you're just going to shine Jesus. So... That's the motivation that we want to talk about today. Let's ask God to help us. I mean, the big thing is hearing this. The next thing is doing this. So what does it look like when it's in Maggie's shoe? What does this love look like when Jude is pressing it? When, when Ayla is living this love out, what does it look like in her home and in her school? What does it look like for Javen? to have this love? Is this just for old people or is this for young people as well? For all of us. What does it look like when Claudia expresses this love in her life? Well, it means she's going to keep attention between what's right and hold up what's right and see what's right and believe what's right and live what's right and at the same time recognise that there's grace and mercy that needs to be done. And then when it looks at another person, it esteems the other person values the other person, recognises that God is in the other person and treats the other person with respect and honour. That's what it looks like. Is that easy? That's a, that's a project every day. It's not easy, but it's righteous. For Javen, it's, it's simple. You know, when dad comes into the room in the morning and asks him to do something, you know, I want you to mow the lawns or something, Javen, and he looks at his father and he doesn't esteem his father very highly. But he recognises what's the right thing to do because he knows what the Bible says about obey your parents. He understands that. 
That's the right thing, the most loving thing to do would be to do that. His emotions might say, I want to play the game box or the Xbox or whatever he's playing with, or football or whatever it is. And that his mind would say, okay, now I want to be a lover like Jesus was a lover. So I will do what dad tells me to do because I esteem my father and I esteem God and I will do what dad tells me to do and then there will be time to play later. And then Carlos would say, he's a very loving boy, he's a very good boy. Amen? Is that a hard one? Sometimes he says it's hard. So he's realistic. So if it's, hard, if it's sometimes hard for Javen, you know what? It will be hard for you. So this isn't something that is... This is something you have to think about. This is something that you have to decide to be... If you don't decide to live this way, you know what your life will be like? You'll either be permissive and you'll give in to everybody and you'll have no values, no rights or wrongs or you'll be judgmental and you'll judge everybody and you'll put your finger out there and poke at that everybody and make everybody feel really horrible because you haven't got the balance right. So this is a daily exercise. Lord Jesus, help me to walk in love. Lord Jesus, help me to hold up that which is right, but not to dismiss the people that do the wrong. Help me to, devalue, to value them and to shine like a light in the, in the midst of darkness. And even if they hate me and they want to kill me, well, that's so be it. Help me to say, Lord, forgive them, for they don't know what they do. So this is an exercise that goes on day after day after day, Jesse. It starts today and it starts every day. And the motivator will give you the motivation to love as he loves because he's with you. Amen. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Amen. Amen. Father, we just thank you for this word. We ask you to help us to live this. It's not enough to talk about it. It's not enough to understand it. Father, it is quite another thing to live this. Lord, we thank you that you put love in us so we have love within us. So we don't have to say we don't have love. We have love. You gave it to us. Lord, help us to cause it to grow. Help us to be understanding and doing the right, upholding the right, and loving with the grace that Jesus gives us. We ask it in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. 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 God bless you.